Hi everyone, this is Haley and you're listening to Straight Talk with the Doc, a podcast on addiction, mental health, and treatment. Our medical director, Dr. Bot, is here with us today, as well as our content director, Jeff. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Haley. How are you? How are you and Jeff doing? I'm doing good. It's a good day today. I'm doing good as well. Today we're going to be talking about a very common disorder. The CDC estimates that over 6 million children have been diagnosed with it, and that disorder is ADHD. Now, something concerning about ADHD is that a significant percentage of people with substance use problems fit the diagnostic criteria for ADHD. I'd like to explore that connection, but Dr. Bott, let's start by just talking about ADHD. You know, what is it? ADHD, as you mentioned, it's a common commonly diagnosed disorder. It's a, it's considered a neurodevelopmental disorder, often first recognized in children. What we end up seeing is, you know, children are often inattentive and hyperactive. It's normal part of growing up. But when, you know, we see that population of children who tend to be more hyperactive or more inattentive, more easily distracted beyond what would be normally seen at a certain age group, you know, we start to, they start to call attention to themselves. So ADHD becomes a disorder where somebody is persistently and pervasively having problems with attention, um, with concentration or hyperactivity and restlessness that starts off in childhood and often extends, you know, for the remainder of their lives. Okay. And can you kind of explain like what's going on in the brain? You know, what's different in the brain of someone with ADHD compared to someone without it? You know, with many psychiatric conditions, you know, there's a lot of hypothesis as to what are the causes. In this one, we, we look at the frontal lobe of the brain, which is the executive functioning, the part of the brain that controls attention, concentration, planning, impulse, and delay of gratification. A lot of that stuff is controlled by that part of our, of our, of our brain. In ADHD, we believe that there are certain deficits in certain neurochemicals that regulate that area. So when that deficit or lack of maturation is occurring, often that area of the brain where people need to have um, a proper level of, and that, that neurochemical is dopamine, proper level of that dopaminergic function often results in those patients being um, presenting like uh, those who do with ADHD, inattentive, lacking the concentration, um, they get restless and fidgety, they're often hyperactive. And this extends often most after the age of four, five, six, seven, and, you know, persistent to adolescence and um, goes on into uh, adulthood. Can you tell me about the most commonly seen symptoms? And are these symptoms different in children and adults? Let's first look at how ADHD is classified. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is classified in like three distinct subtypes. There's a predominantly inattentive type, a predominantly hyperactive type, or a combined type. And the way we classify those is basically if somebody has six or more symptoms of inattention, where they're easily distracted or forgetful or daydreaming or can't complete certain tasks, and you know, then they and they don't have the hyperactive um, symptomatology, so they would be predominantly diagnosed as the inattentive type. And then the opposite is true 
if they have more hyperactive symptoms where they're fidgety, can't sit, stand in line, they are constantly moving and, or they uh, are running all over the place when you know they're sitting in a, in a restaurant or in an office. And if there's a combination of these symptoms where there's 12 um, symptoms of both inattentive and a hyperactive component, then we call it the combined type. And, and the hallmark of these diagnoses is that it, not only do you have to have these symptoms, these symptoms have to have some onset before the age of 12, and they have to be present in two or more major domains of a child's life. So it has to not occur exclusively in one setting. It has to occur both in school and at home, or in the case where if you're getting older and you still have ADHD symptoms, that it happens at work or and at home. So the impairment has to be occurring in, in two different areas. And it has to be, you know, not what would be expected at a certain age. I mean, we don't want to call a, a two-year-old an ADHD uh, patient when we know two-year-olds are inattentive and running all over the place and active. And so we want to make sure that we are, you know, capturing patients uh, within the right chronological and cognitive age group so they're not being misdiagnosed. So, you know, the, the, again, the hallmark of it is this central dopaminergic functioning is somewhat impaired. Um, it's not, it's either delayed in its maturation or not functioning at, the, at a level which can um, maintain the, the prefrontal cortex where, you know, patients continue to represent, present themselves as inattentive and, or hyperactive. And so, um, We'll get into treatment probably later in these questions, but um, the treatment includes, you know, rebalancing those neurotransmitters out. And I wanted to break that down a little bit more, what you mentioned about misdiagnosis. You know, how can you tell the difference between just a regular child? Because, you know, kids are a little hyper sometimes, you know, they can be a little wild. You know, what's, how does a clinician make that call? Well, hopefully the clinician who's making or assessing somebody for ADHD has a baseline fundamental knowledge of what is normative development. You know, we, we as uh, mental health care practitioners or healthcare practitioners are trained and should be trained in, in, in assessing what are certain milestones and behaviors that should occur at certain periods in, in throughout the lifespan. So, you know, the key way to do this is to make sure you have that awareness and not, you know, just taking one person's testimony. Uh, an important part in making accurate diagnosis, especially in ADHD, is we like to take samples from of information from more than just one person. So you do the, the proper assessment with the patient yourself in your office, but then often you're you're taking the, the mother or the parents or, or the father's uh, testimony, getting their history. And then also being that I mentioned before that, you know, these this is a an illness that has to be present in two or more settings. Well then in the in the case of a child, getting information from the teacher so um or while in school to see to make sure that the 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 behaviors that we're looking at are are inconsistent that what would what be expected um at a certain age and these are things that teachers recognize very very quickly and very well you know um teachers are used to seeing how most fourth graders would behave in fourth grade and so if there's a child who's more inattentive or can't finish their homework or seems to be daydreaming, well, the teacher hopefully is would be able to recognize that. So 
the key is to make sure you're aware of what would be normal development and normal cognition and normal behavior for a certain age and then being able to get um, opinions and provide an get analysis from you know multiple people in multiple domains and, and then aggregating that information and drawing a conclusion. What age is ADHD usually diagnosed? It's most commonly diagnosed in childhood. You know, we, we, we try to not diagnose it again too early because it's, it's going to overlap with normal uh, behaviors of, of, you know, immature children. You know, children are going to be hyperactive and inattentive. So we don't want to do it too early. Um, but childhood is usually when we start to see as, as children get into, um, you know, later parts of elementary school, early parts of middle school, when they start to differentiate, when normally you would see a kid start to become less restless, less fidgety, being able to uh, stay seated longer. And um, when they start to separate, you know, a lot of ADHD children will start to distinguish themselves by those exact behaviors. So while kids who don't have it can start to pay attention, stay seated, follow you know directions in the classroom, or you know attend to homework at home, or do chores, or just even sit there and watch television. Children who have ADHD they have difficulty doing those things, and um, you know they start to get themselves called out. Can it be diagnosed at any age? Like, can somebody who's and adults receive an ADHD diagnosis? Yes. You know, adults can be diagnosed with ADHD, but I think at that point, it's very important to take everything in context. I think there's many patients who probably are getting diagnosed with ADHD when they don't have ADHD because many different disorders or circumstances can cause somebody to be inattentive, for example. So yes, the, the quick answer is somebody with who can be accurately diagnosed at an adult uh, adulthood or, you know, obviously, hopefully as a child, if caught early enough. But the, the, the important part is to make sure that if there's something medically or something else going on, either substance abuse or depression or some sort of, you know, uh, medical disorder, that could be causing somebody to behave a certain way or be, you know, be inattentive or have problems focusing, distracted. Um, we don't miss that and we don't mislabel somebody. So um, that's really important. You mentioned, you know, kind of catching it early. Does it make a difference if it's diagnosed and treated earlier in life? Yeah, the prognosis is better if somebody is diagnosed early, just like anything, I think with any illness, we want to make sure the earlier we catch it, the more we can intervene. Um, ADHD is a very treatable disorder. And I hate to even use the word disorders here, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. Um, and it is one that we have good treatments for. Um, and, you know, as long as somebody is accurately diagnosed, and again, if we start at the beginning and somebody is called out and they do get, you know, a proper psychiatric evaluation by a child psychiatrist or a, a pediatric, you know, behavioralist, somebody who, who has an expertise in ADHD and they get the proper, you know, uh, testing done and ask the right questions with the right people. And, um, you know, there are behavioral interventions that can be done. There are social interventions that can be done. There are medications that are available. 
And if treated properly in, with all those domains, you know, they could have really good prognosis for these individuals and live healthy lives. ADHD is also very commonly misdiagnosed. Um, there are a lot of other mental health conditions that often uh, mimic ADHD. Um, and sometimes substance abuse is misdiagnosed as ADHD if, you know, the, the person diagnosing is not, does not have a particularly um, complete picture of what's actually going on because many substances also um, mimic the effects of ADHD, especially after long-term use. Yeah, for sure, Jeff. Talking about misdiagnosis, like in kids, you know, ADHD is, is prevalent and it, it often exists with kids who have behavioral issues. A lot of times ADHD occurs with, with children who have oppositional defiant disorder, where they you know, don't like to follow directions of adults and they, they, they are oppositional and have difficulty following rules. And that can be confused to you know, the untrained eye as, as somebody who might not you know, want, you know, might have ADHD because it, not only could it be co-occurring, but they tend to be more rebellious and, and they could run or they could become fidgety or they could become more aggressive. And, and those are distinct and separate features. So even though that there could be co-occurring disorders and they could, you know, be existing with somebody with ADHD, you know, aggression and all that, that's not part of the ADHD diagnosis and neither is oppositionality or whatever. So it, it's important that things don't get, you know, misdiagnosed or, or misattributed to um, the wrong illness or the wrong disorder. And yeah, if you get older, if you use substances, you know, medications that alter the way we think, focus or concentrate, those people can end up looking for somebody to help them get back to the way they used to think and focus and concentrate prior to using drugs and, or, or alcohol. And, and often they're quickly, you know, just asked a, a handful of questions. You have problems concentrating, focusing, you have trouble sitting still. And if the answers are yes, they often can get an ADHD diagnosis when in fact the symptoms are produced by their substance use. So um, it's ironic, but it needs to be, you know, challenged and questioned and be assessed by the proper clinician. What's treatment like for ADHD? And are there different treatments for children and adults? A treatment should be comprehensive. A lot of times patients with ADHD, they, they do well with proper structure. When somebody's struggling to focus and pay attention and stay on task and or they struggle with touching objects and being fidgety or being restless, well, it's important that we create the right environment for them. The first thing I would do is make sure that if somebody's accurately diagnosed with ADHD, we ensure that the environment that they're in, um, such as the school or, or home, it's, it's free of distractions. So if they're, if they're having to do something that they're attending to, to certain tasks, make sure that there's, you know, the TV's not on in the background if they're doing homework, or if they're in the classroom setting, maybe have smaller uh, classroom sizes, or give them less uh, work to do um, in a certain amount of time. That way they're, you know, we're, we're kind of meeting them where they're at and not setting them up to fail by putting them in an environment which would, you know, um, be easily um, distracted for somebody who doesn't have ADHD and then make it more difficult for that person. Um, then second, there's, there's medications. Medications are um, a, very, a, a very good resource 
in treating ADHD in terms they have good effectiveness. Um, you know, they, they, if they do work and when they do work, we do see responses quickly. Um, it just has to be, you know, introduced at the right time, at the right dosage and, and monitored and managed properly by uh, the proper physician. So that's really um, another another tool that we have. And, and, and a good thing is, is, is that, you know, as children get older, we do see improvement with, you know, the hyperactive and, um, and, and the, the hyperactive and the restless and the externalizing part. Because as, as kids mature, and it might be later with the ADHD child in terms of physical and cognitive development, we do see improvement there. And so those behavioral and educational tools that we can apply, they might be more receptive for that um, later too. So they should be done in combination, uh, you know, in a combination with different modalities of treatment. One thing that is really important with ADHD diagnosis in particular, um, a lot of the medications used to treat ADHD are very effective and useful when used properly by people who actually have ADHD. But many of them have opposite effects on people who don't legitimately have ADHD, and they can be addictive and habit-forming. Um, an example of this would be it's common for people with bipolar disorder, for example, to be misdiagnosed with ADHD, um, <clears throat> especially if uh, the manic phase is what they come in for treatment more and they don't talk so much about depression. And if you give someone with bipolar disorder ADHD medications, you probably will make them manic um, in most cases, or in many cases at least. Yeah, Jeff, you bring up an important point. And um, Haley, I don't know which direction you were going to go with any further questions, but being that you brought it up, Jeff, it's really important to make sure that diagnosis is accurate because there are so many things that can mimic one another. Yeah, if somebody has... You know, if, if they're using cocaine and if they're using drugs that can mimic, you know, certain type of hyperactivity and, you know, increased energy, they can look like there's somebody who is, you know, ADHD. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, the, the central deficit of those who have ADHD is often, you know, lower dopaminergic functioning in the brain. And we need dopamine to help us control our um, our impulses regulate our attention, concentrating, planning, and organizing. So we treat this with stimulant medication. And a lot of time people, when they hear that, they're like, wait, why are we stimulating people who have ADHD when they don't need to be stimulated? And that's not what we're stimulating. We're stimulating the deficit of dopamine in the brain. And so what's happening is when somebody's treated with medications, that are the stimulant class, we are increasing dopamine. And as Jeff mentioned, you know, if they don't have ADHD, that dopamine increase then is not starting from a deficit side it's in a normal level, it can be increased and then is an excessive level. And dopamine in excessive levels can mimic psychosis, agitation, and, you know, like people who have psychotic disorders or manic disorders. So absolutely, accurate diagnosis uh, leads to accurate treatment. And that really is important 
when it comes to treating people with ADHD. I kind of want to uh, lean in another direction and kind of talk about what I mentioned at the beginning of this, ADHD and addiction. Are people with ADHD more likely to struggle with an addiction? People who suffer with various mental health conditions uh, or physical conditions, they are at risk um, for developing addiction just because, you know, those who end up having difficulties in life, um, that in itself is a risk factor, you know, so we, we look at genetics as a, as a, as a, as a risk factor, or maybe some level of predisposition to develop something. But on top of it, you know, if you do have the presence or absence of certain mental health conditions or physical conditions, those can act as additional risk factors, you know, when mixed with certain substances of abuse and then lend to the, you know, um, development of addiction. So when we talk about ADHD, we, we're talking about people who have problems, you know, with attention and impulsivity and, you know, inability to, to delay gratification because of that impulse, you know, control issues. And so when, the, and plus when you add the fact that, you know, the inherent, you know, problem with ADHD is often that there's not enough dopamine when you introduce drugs there's an interesting, you know, relationship that could develop, you know, one, you know, certain illicit drugs increase dopamine. And so when they increase dopamine, it can cause as a, it can create like almost a normalizing effect for certain individuals. So if I suffer from ADHD and I'm hyperactive and I'm impulsive or I can't focus and I can't concentrate and I introduce a certain drug that helps me level out, well, that's going to unfortunately negatively, but reinforce my substance use. And that adds as a, you know, a risk factor for the further, you know, using again and developing an addiction. So the important part here is to recognize, you know, if you do have some sort of, you know, risk factor or predisposition or a, an illness that might render you more susceptible for having a negative relationship with drugs or alcohol, it's important to catch it and treat it early. So... Again, in this case with ADHD, if it's treated early and, um, you know, managed well, the, the risk of developing addiction is lower. Often we do see untreated ADHD, though, being a risk factor for addiction later on. Are those with ADHD more likely to use certain types of substances over, like, over others? Like, um you know, more likely to use alcohol or more likely to abuse stimulants? It really depends on what the the relationship becomes. We have seen um, patients who suffer with ADHD um, use multiple classes of drugs or alcohol, and it really depends on what effect that drug gives to them. So let's use an example of what I see in um, clinical practice all the time is, you know, marijuana is often a, a drug people use early. So uh, oftentimes I, I talk to, you know, my teenage patients and they're like, well, doc, you know, I, I started using because, you know, when I was a kid and I was in middle school, I had problems focusing and I, I would I would be in the classroom and I, and I, I would have problems finishing my task. And, and, and when I would get home, you know, I, I felt like I was all over the place. And I, I couldn't, you know, do my homework. I, I, I had problems following directions with my, with my parents. 
But when I would smoke weed, I felt like my mind slowed down and my mind, and I could focus more on certain things. So right there, we saw a relationship where smoking marijuana gave the, the, the sensation that they're feeling calmer and slower and their mind's not racing as much. Well, that is a reinforcement factor for somebody with ADHD in, those, in these individuals cases because it helps them focus and slows their brain down and allows them to attend to tasks. Uh, on another side, we see people who, due to the stimulant effect of drugs like cocaine, which increase dopamine or amphetamines, which increase dopamine, as I mentioned earlier, the inherent deficit in ADHD is that we hypothesize there's a dopamine deficit. And, you know, when we introduce drugs that increase dopamine, well, that enhances their ability to focus and um, it normalizes the dopamine level or increases it. So it gives them the ability to, it's almost like medically treating them uh, in, in a way. So that's another drug that can be uh, reinforcing. And, and unfortunately though, the more people use it, sometimes obviously there's no exact recipe that can be, you know, you get the euphoria and you get the high at the same time. And not only are they using it now to help normalize themselves, well, it's very easy to go beyond that threshold and use these drugs to help get that euphoria, get that high, and unfortunately, you know, reinforces the addiction in another way. So, um, yeah, it, it, it can, it's a slippery slope. But, uh, you know, depending on how the drug and, and the relationship with the patient and what they end up, you know, feeling from it, you know, th that can either negatively or positively, but ultimately reinforce usage down the road. Can addiction worsen the symptoms of ADHD? Definitely. If somebody's using drugs or alcohol, they're destructive to our brain, our, our bodies. So if somebody's struggling with, you know, a mental health issue um, such as ADHD, introducing drugs or alcohol, it, it affects the neurochemistry of the brain. So when you, when you have something that, you know, alters the way you think, alters the way you feel, alters the way you behave, you won't know your true self. So when somebody's already struggling with, you know, problems uh, with attention, impulse control, hyperactivity, focusing, ability to stay on task, you know, this, this plays out in, in, in our lives, not just by these words that I'm saying, but, you know, in your ability to do well in school, um, hold a job, you know, stay in relationships. So the, the amount of, you know, convolute that does that occurs, and it becomes very messy when people introduce, you know, drugs or alcohol, because you really don't know how to um, what you're treating, and, and, and what you're experiencing. So it becomes very difficult when um, people combine drugs or alcohol with ADHD or any mental health issue. Um, because it just only worsens the situation. And what would treatment be like for someone who has both an addiction and ADHD? We always try to stabilize somebody um, first. If there's a mental health or psychiatric exacerbation that um, cannot be addressed with substances um, in the way, you know, we, we have to see them, you know, sober and and remove the effects from the substances so it's it's important to get somebody into treatment where both the substance use disorder and adhd can be managed 
you know, at the same time. So the only way to actually see if somebody truthfully has ADHD, though, is to, you know, remove those substances um, from their bodies. So entering rehab, entering treatment, whatever, outpatient, inpatient, you know, seeing them um, without any adulterants within their body and then assessing them. You know, hopefully, you know, many patients that I have at least assessed, I'm able to, you know, do a good psychiatric evaluation and ask them about retrospective symptoms back in the day when they were children, talk to their families, get good, you know, you know, chronological history. So I'm able to ascertain was there ADHD, a true ADHD, or did it, is it a secondary product to their substances of abuse? But again, these are things that need to happen by taking good histories, looking back. So many patients come to, to treatment and they're unfortunately talking about quote unquote ADHD and maybe they had it, but the symptoms that they're talking about now are really symptoms of their substance use. So the important part is really clearing all of that up, getting them in proper treatment, you know, getting them in proper rehabilitation, getting them substance-free and sober, and then addressing the ADHD simultaneously. And um, or or after the fact, but my point is is that um, you know you can't address ADHD while substances are on board. Well, thank you for explaining that, Doctor Bot. If you want to read more about ADHD and addiction, you can go to addictioncenter.com. All of our other podcast episodes are also available on Addiction Center, as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope to have you next time for Straight Talk with the Doc.